0: Hey, everybody, it's Jeff. Before we start today, I wanted to let you know about micrentals.com. You know, it seems like these days the only thing left on stage to put a microphone on other than vocals is drums. If you've ever been curious whether changing your mics on drums would make a difference in your sound, then look no further than micrentals.com. They'll let you shoot out drum mics before you make an expensive purchase, and that can really be helpful. You know, some of the fan favorites are the Mojave 201 FET overheads earthworks dm20s and the new dpa 4055 that's dpa's new dedicated kick drum mic it's the first time dpa has ever attempted a mic design tailored specifically to a kick drum and i think you'll want to check it out so go to micrentals.com and enter mxu15 at checkout for a 15 percent discount on all of your drum mic rentals okay let's get to the show
1: you are now entering the mxu podcast no credentials
0: required. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 120 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here with my co hosts, Lee Fields and Jay Desai, Dadu Worldwide himself. And we are really excited to be joined today by our friend, Lauren Charbonneau, who I am with on the Dude Perfect tour. We're actually in, where are we today?
2: Tampa. Tampa. Tampa Bay. We're
0: in Tampa Bay, Florida, today where it's really hot and muggy, but we're going to give the good people of Tampa what they want today because this tour has been great, and Lauren is basically leading the charge as the content producer, show caller, overall kind of producer of the event, and so we're just going to talk today about live production with her as a friend and as a female in the industry and as somebody who's doing this kind of unique tour of cat wrangling and production wrangling and production direction, and... We're just going to just going to chat it up. So, boys, how you doing? Uh,
3: <laughs> OK, five <laughs> o'clock somewhere, I guess. Um, that was a Diet Coke. OK, so
1: <laughs> I didn't know Creature Comforts made Diet Coke.
3: <laughs> Lauren, I got to know, were you the one that gave Jeff and Rusty permission the last two days to go play golf on a show day?
2: It was me. You know, it's a crew morale thing. You got to keep everyone happy.
3: Right. And Golf their, usually does that. Their gloves are super white. Not only on the golf course <laughs> are their gloves white, but their gloves are
1: white in the arena. Well played. Well
3: yep.
2: played. Yeah. No, they've been awesome.
1: J- Jeff probably has like a 12-channel console to tip every day, right?
0: <laughs> well, what's, what's funny, honestly, is that of the, of the three disciplines on this tour, audio, video, and lighting, Audio is definitely the, I would say, the easiest in terms of what what's required to pull off the show. Um, the reason that we're able to do what we do in the morning is because the lighting rig is so massive that there really isn't anything to do until it gets fully, not fully at trim, but fully off the ground because of all the truss and all the staging and all the stuff that's in the house. So... The two techs from the PA provider are flying the PA, and that's usually not even at trim until almost noon because of everything else that's in the way. So um, we're grateful to be able to have a little flexibility in the morning, but that doesn't mean we're not working, guys. We're still <laughs> right, doing our part. Right, right. We're just not. Uh, we're just not actively unloading trucks and pushing a bunch of bunch of cases. But I feel like at this point in my career. I have never been able to have this luxury before, and so I'm gonna take advantage of it when I can. <laughs>
2: He's gotta save his hands for pushing those faders, you know. He can't be messing around.
0: Right. And how many faders is it? Well, um <laughs> I have I have a few. I have I have more than I have more than my hands can hold at one point. Great so eleven. I I have <laughs> well, I have the uh the five headset mics that the dudes wear, and then four handhelds for various things um, a couple of hosts and a couple of crowd interaction handhelds and then some video playback channels and uh, music playback so yeah it's not as many as i'm used to but it's still a lot to wrangle because those headset mics are uh, a challenge yeah okay so it's not all fun and games well it
3: is for everyone attending it's fun and games but you're on headset mics, and these guys are in front of the PA the whole time. Tell,
1: tell so, me your rack. In front of the, this is the this is where you reveal your rack, right?
0: Yeah. So, uh, to answer your question, Lee, yes, they're in front of the PA, except for one element of the show, which only lasts about ten minutes. It's for anybody who knows Dude Perfect, the cool or not cool segment that they do live is on the main stage behind the PA, but everything else that they do is either in front of the PA or up in the 200 level, up in the crowd, like way in front of the PA. So it's a challenge. So I'm using Waves, and I have redundant servers, and I test the redundancy every day as part of my sort of sound check slash, you know, bringing out the mics process just to make sure that if Waves goes down, the redundant server is ready to roll and is going to keep up. But it's been rock solid so far. We haven't had a single... Drop out or Jeff, do you check club. all of the five mics yeah. in front of the PA every day? Yes. So the monitor engineer basically goes through every microphone, all the headsets, and all the handhelds in front of the PA. So on the B stage, and it's basically at the end of the thrust, there's a big kind of circle at half court, so to speak. And so he's on that thrust every day, testing every one of the mics, and he'll He'll scream into them. He'll talk into them because these guys like to talk loud and they talk over each other. So to answer your question, Jay, about the rack, I have um, PSE and Dugan Auto Mixer. Well, D- so Dugan is basically, it's it's always engaged the way, the, the way Super Rack works. The rack itself is PSE, SSL Channel, RVOX, and... That might be it. Uh, there's a DS on a couple of them. And nice. then and then Dugan is on all five. So for those of you who don't know about Dugan Automixer, it's basically a sort of side chain compressor expander gate crazy thing that yeah. is is great kind of voodoo technology. But basically whoever whoever's mic is the loudest, then their mic takes priority in the auto mixer. And everybody else gets ducked a little bit, and so it's a great way to manage. You know, if if multiple people are talking, who's talking loudest basically gets preference. Well, Lauren and would so, win that.
2: Well, you know.
0: Well, <laughs> you should hear her on com. It's it's interesting, but um, anyway, it's post this. fader. That's yep. the crazy part about Dugan. It's it's a post fade. It's magic. Yeah, yeah, it's a post fader process. So basically, after the after the Waves rack in Super Rack, then Dugan is engaged, and then in the console, I'm using a Digico two two five Quantum console, and so the insert point of Waves is Insert B on the console. That you know, uh, Digico's consoles have two insert points, and so Insert B happens after the console EQ and uh, dynamics, and so. I'm using the console EQ only for high-pass and low-pass filter. And I am using the console compressor to do a little bit of, like if, if those mics are getting a really high input signal, it is doing a little squashing before it gets to waves. But um, that's really acting as just kind of a, a limiter at the highest possible input level. Do you
1: put the crowd
0: handhelds in Dugan in their own group? The only thing in Dugan is the dudes' mics. Got it. I'm, I may mess with that. Actually, now that you said that, because I would put I, the four I, of them in, in B group and let that. So you got two auto mixers going. Yeah, that's mm. a good idea. I'm only using A at this point, so I may try that tonight. Good tip, Jay. Yeah, yeah.
2: there's five of them, Jay, not four. Oh, I'm, I'm
0: no, sorry. Four. The she is the producer. <laughs> the, yeah, <she's> the producer.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's a perfect segue into what is a producer because some people are asking like what. What does Lauren do and why is she in charge? What's the producer? Wow. So That's Lauren Fair question, honestly. Really? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> most churches most churches when they just start doing services planting, they don't really have a producer until you you realize they're like, All these mistakes are happening and no one's communicating and who's in charge here. And then they're like, We should have yeah. someone that does what you do. So before we get into that, I'd love to know how you even got started in this and what's your background. Because the first time I'm, these guys have known you a long time, but the first time I met you was on Calm at Passion. I think that was the first time we yeah. met. So yeah. fire away.
2: I hope I said something nice. So I'll just I'll preface that. Um, no, I mean thank you guys for having me. It's uh, it's really cool to to be able to do this um, and and get to talk about you know what I love doing. So I got started. Um, actually, used to sing. I don't tell a whole lot of people that, so this is a great. Give time it to, to us uh, right now. That information.
1: Sing right now.
2: I ain't doing it. <laughs> I'm not warmed up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> me 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 me. That was Jeff, not me. Um, uh, so I used to sing, and I uh, sang for a larger church in Alpharetta, Georgia, and um, did that through college, and um, sort of thought like, toward the end of my years of graduating college, I really wanted to explore. Sort of the behind the scenes pieces of it. I felt like I was maybe just a bit too punctual to be on the music side. So um a bit too type A, needed to uh
3: wait, you, you mean you showed up on time and there was no one there to hang out with
2: you? Is yeah. that what you mean? Right. <laughs> I was like, y'all said call time was at three. I'm am I in the right place? Um so so and you know, it was just me and all the all the production folks there um together. And I was like, you know, that there's just something really cool about um about what it takes to be able to put all this together. So, um, I applied for an internship and I, uh, interned for, um, like nine or 10 months. Um, and after that, there was a position that opened up in broadcast and I hadn't really done anything in broadcast before, but I, um, I really just loved the behind the scenes stuff. And, um, you know, luckily there were some people who were dumb enough to take a risk on me, even though I really didn't know what I was doing. And um, so I ended up becoming the broadcast director for um, the church that I was working for, um, which was a a fairly big position for someone who is 22 years old and didn't really have any massive production experience. So um, I did that, um, learned alongside some actual geniuses, um, and just tried to absorb as much information from them as I could. And I uh, did that role for three years and managed all of their broadcast and, and online um, services, which at the time, it, it was it's a multi-campus church, but at the time there was just one broadcast, and now I think you know every church probably has some type of broadcast platform that they did. but um, at the time, you know, now I'm old, but then that wasn't really a, a big thing that, that a lot of churches did. So um, that's sort of how I got started, and then um, I met my husband, Taylor, who, um, is the, uh, director of production or global director of production, um, at Passion. And, uh, at the time he lived in Minneapolis. So I moved up there and I did, um, sort of something similar, uh, there for a church called Eagle Brook, um, up in Minneapolis. And then we made our way back down South. And, um, I work for a company now called 46 Entertainment and, um, we work a lot in the church space. We're a big, uh... A uh, big proponent of uh, churches and, and elevating the church experience, but we also do tours. And so that's sort of where my role fits in on this tour. Normally, I'm a, a project manager. Um, in this role, it's, it's a bit different. I sort of marry the creative and the logistical aspects uh, to bring the tour together.
1: Tell them who took you on your first tour.
2: Jamin Desai took me on my first tour. Another person who's taken a lot of risk with a uh, you know, at the time, probably wasn't a lot of reward.
1: <laughs> well, she does not not like showering in the morning. We found that out. Doesn't like sleeping yep. on a bus. What else?
2: Nope, I'm not a great bus sleeper. Um, She's
1: made for touring.
0: Speaking of that, can I just tell you a story real quick? I don't think you know this yet. Oh, gosh. Last night. Oh, gosh. So after the show, we had a little parking lot party. The great people from Premier Productions, who's our promoter for the tour, had set up some Like the buses were parked kind of in a square they they moved the bus parking so they were kind of walling off this area in the parking lot and they had some string lights set up cornhole board there were some drinks and tacos and it was kind of like instead of having bus food for our after show food it was like outdoor kind of
2: yeah it was so fun family
0: reunion kind of thing it was great so i went to bed because i knew we were getting up this morning early and so i went to bed before everybody And at 2.18 this morning, I am awakened by a thud. Oh, gosh. And it was the guy sleeping. I'm in the middle bunk. The guy in the bottom bunk, (laughs) I I peek out my curtain, and all I hear is, and he was looking up at me with his AirPods in and has no memory of it. (gasps) Oh, my (laughs) god. So I don't know if it was just a bad dream or if he fell out of bed and it didn't hurt because it was the bottom bunk or whatever, but it was amazing.
2: That is hilarious. So Welcome speaking to my- of
0: not liking bus sleep, that's probably your like biggest nightmare is top bunk, right. fallout, going down the road at 70 miles an hour, right? ending up in a ditch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. The driver could be amazing, but every night I fear for my life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. in, in, you know. in
0: reality, within 12 to 18
1: inches from you is a semi at all times. So like-
2: right. This is true. Right. Yeah. um, And I'm, you know, just not the most coordinated person on the planet. So putting me on the top bunk was, I mean, it was my choice, but, you know, maybe not the wisest choice.
0: Well, I hope not to wake up to you in the middle of the night with a thud and a scream. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. Um, Lee, I, I don't know if you knew this, but Lauren
1: also spent close to two years flying to D.C. with me to launch Passion City, D.C., Okay, cool. Yep, yep. And actually, when they have their production meeting on Sunday, they still say something every Sunday that Lauren used to say, um, which is, don't screw it up. <laughs> At the end of the production. In a
2: very loving yeah, way.
1: It's, it's totally, like, there are people there that have no clue why we say that. And they're like, there was this girl, Lauren, and it was a joke, and now people are just scared
0: for their life to screw up. <laughs> well, it's pretty good advice, actually. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when, it's good advice. You, when you think about it. Right.
2: Yeah. If you're thinking about screwing it up, just don't.
3: And just don't even just about don't, it. Just don't, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you mentioned, you said this line. I, I want to dig into this a little. You marry the creative and the technical. You're kind of like air traffic control between the two. Yeah, yeah. So like at the church you were at, and was that North Point? I think it's okay to say that. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay, so North Point's a little bit of a unique animal because the way they do streaming is so unique. It definitely sure. takes air traffic control to pull in feeds from different campuses, send out feeds to different campuses at different times and time delay and time slip and all that. But a normal church, if they're not broadcasting, like talk to us about what a producer role would be. Church of 800 people. They're just streaming to the web, but like, what's that producer role in your mind? What do they
2: do? Yeah. Fair enough. So, you know, broadcast is its own environment. And I know that, you know, that's sort of become more and more known over the last few years out of um, out of post-COVID and yeah. everyone's focusing more obviously on on broadcast in the online environment than ever before. And to me it's um, it's how do we take the the experience and recognize you're not in, in you're not in the room with us, but how does that experience translate um, into the broadcast environment in a way that um, hopefully increases people's ability to engage with the church itself. So um, you know, for me, it was huge of my end goal wasn't that people would live in broadcast world. My end goal would be that someone engages with the local church. So when you think about it through that lens, how can you how can you create engagement online that eventually leads to someone walking in the doors of a church or eventually leads to someone, you know, taking the next step in their faith. So for me, it was creating different opportunities for people to engage, um, whether that be with, you know, we had a host at the time. So host content, Um, if there's a specific online environment, you know, um, something along the lines of at the time it was Facebook and Twitter, but you know, now it could be Instagram, TikTok, you know whatever makes the most sense um do people use tiktok at churches now
1: I don't think Jeff's the right guy to ask I don't think he knows what <laughs> yeah.
2: the only tiktoker
1: he knows is the one that's going to go in his chest soon <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dude, that well that's funny that's, that's, mean. No, that's, that's just, mean that's just plain mean, that's just mean if i didn't love you if i didn't love you so much i might hang up on you right now um i my watch goes tiktok um yeah, I th- I think, I don't know, does anybody use TikTok for church? I'm sure.
3: I think they're I'm trying sure to use does. it, but I don't think people have figured it out. I think yeah. middle school yeah. ministries
0: use it as they should. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, Twitch maybe is the next big thing. I'm just kidding. Um, good try. Yeah, good try. So, So back up a step for the people who are kind of still trying to figure out how to make the in-room experience yeah. the most engaging it can be like in terms of navigating that transitions you know wrangling people getting that getting that the best it can be talk about the role of a producer you know in in the in-room experience because i know a lot of people just think well here's our order of service and everybody just figured out the worship leader may be leading the team and so yeah. they're kind of Maybe they'll have a pre-service meeting, but maybe they won't. So when they integrate the role of uh, a producer slash show caller, for yeah. lack of a better word, what does that process, what does that transition look like, do you think?
2: Yeah. Um, so I'll use Dude Perfect as an example because even though it's not a church environment, I feel like it's a good indicator of of how you support the vision of the people who are leading um in some way shape or form. So, you know, my job with the dudes is to fully understand the vision and what it is that they want to accomplish in the room and um understand that at the end of the day, they know their audience um better than I do. They know their uh, consumer, they know what's going to land well in the room, they know what people are going to latch onto and engage in. And it's my role as a producer to figure out the best way logistically to support the creative vision. Um, so I think first it comes with understanding what, what and who, you know, we're supporting at the end of the day, what and who we're, we're trying to communicate to, um, and trusting that whoever is on the stage in the, in whatever platform that they've been given is the one that I'm entrusted with to carry the vision for. Um, so that's sort of the baseline of, of, you know, the foundation of where I go from a producer is how do I support them the best?
0: But the correlation then for a church is to make sure that you understand that vision and that it's clearly communicated so that you can execute it. But a lot of times churches get stuck in that process because who their senior leader thinks they are or thinks that what they're trying to do is the right thing, sometimes they maybe get it wrong or can't see a blind spot or don't understand how people really do need to engage. Yeah. So, it, it requires a special person to be able to navigate that and to maybe steer that person to a more practical version of their vision yeah. or a more, um, you know, appropriate thing that you could actually pull off, you know, based on the people and the resources that you have. So, you know, that's it. It takes you know, it's not just somebody who is detail oriented who can get through a run of show it's somebody who can really help navigate an experience and, you know, help, help the overall vision be satisfied.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of that too comes from, you know, understanding the rest of the production that surrounds the vision. You know, I'm, I would be the first to tell you that I'm not the most gear savvy. Like when you're talking about, you know, waves and all that, I understand the baseline of it. I don't understand the full depth of it. And it's, it's knowing, for me, it's knowing enough about everyone's world that I'm able to piece together what needs to happen in order to keep, keep us moving, Yeah, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it
3: does. It's really like there's two different times. You, you have to wear two different hats, right? It's before the service happens in the creative planning when pastor says, hey, I want doves to fly out of this box at point three. And right. who does he tell that to? Well, if he tells that to the technical team, a, a bunch of nerdy introverts and they're like, why would you want to do that? You know, that, that could be, a, <laughs> that could be a typical response, <laughs> but when you're telling a event producer or a weekend producer, they can then go to the team and translate appropriately. Or this came up on Instagram yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Nathan Finocchio put a series of stories out and it was like, pastor talking to a tech guy or worship leader talking to a tech guy. Hey, I'd like to um, ascend or descend from the roof. And I would like the entire 1979 Rangers hockey team to be on stage when I land in full <laughs> regalia. Um, and then the tech guy says, great, no problem. I'm already three steps ahead of you. And then right below that pastor asks tech, can I please control my own slides from my laptop? No, impossible. <laughs> you know, so he, he put like 10 different things out there. And one of them was like the pastor asking, Can I send my laptop to the LED wall? Tech says basically, No, you're crazy. No. Why would you ever think you could do that? <laughs> but when you tell a producer that, they're able to tell Nathan Finocchio, Hey, you can't just plug an HDMI into that LED wall. There's more steps involved. Um, right. Can you, you know, so it's that translation piece that am I getting this right? Is this what, yeah. this is a good example, yeah, absolutely. right?
2: That's
1: a great mm-hmm. example. In the pre-service mode, that person is a translator. Yes. In and this, then during, right. I would call that person he, a conductor. Yeah. Like if, if producer walked away, everyone is able to do their job, but a producer keeps people in tune and in time,
0: maybe not all musicians, but, but, uh, keeps everyone in time. So yeah, it's a really good analogy time. though. It's the, it's the traffic cop, it's the air traffic controller, it's the conductor, it's the person who's basically navigating everybody through a smooth version of what this printed run sheet has to offer. So back to the vision piece, can you think of an example where, let's let's stay with the dudes because it may have happened. Um, can you think of an example where they said, because of their knowledge of the audience and because of their experience, they said, hey, this is what we want to pull off. And you thought that'll never work, mm-hmm. and you were wrong. Yeah. Or the converse, where they said, "Here's what we want to do," and you said, "Okay, we'll, pull, we'll try to do that," and then it didn't work. Yeah. And how to navigate both sides of that?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's a good question. So the dudes, I think anyone who's probably watched a video of theirs would understand that they've got very. Uh, Active imaginations and they are they have got great ideas, which is what makes them so good at what they do. And how that translates to a live environment um, is one of the most um, difficult but rewarding parts of my job. Once you know it's done appropriately, um, I would say, you know, when we first started the tour process, they wanted to, to um, entertain the idea of anything from flying people in the room to um and like what does that look like like similar to how pink does her tour if we were to suspend someone or we were to truly make it like an american like gladiator almost type experience what does that look like um and for me um you know that didn't always make the most sense or i would go well Okay, like yeah, that would be awesome, but like let's talk about all the implications of that of, you know, rigging of safety, of not all venues allow you to do that. Um those types of things. Um and I f- the they're reasonable enough that when you mention those things, they understand what that means on a touring basis and they're able to sort of, you know, navigate in another direction. Um which didn't make sense for us for this tour, but not to say you know, 2023, maybe we're going to be flying people in the room. We'll see. We
0: might fly Jay into the room for that.
2: That would be. um, You're going to need a one ton, not a
0: half ton.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was Um, like, well, we did this one video where we did this. And you're like, yeah. And it took you a week to shoot it. And there's editing. And this is, you know, 12,000 people in the room. Don't screw up. You get one shot at this.
2: Totally. And I think, you know, to being able to steer them in the direction of understanding that this is a show that happens once, like, you know, we load in, in the morning, the show happens and then we load out. That's a different model, obviously, than, um, than YouTube. Um, some, some ways better, some ways worse. Um, but in an, an instance, in an instance that it did work, um, so this hologram box, um, that they had the idea of, it's, um, called proto hologram. It's pretty amazing whenever it's done well um and you can you can see an example of it. Ellen does this on um, her show, but there's um an image that comes up and it looks like uh like it looks like a physical person is standing in the box it's what would you say ten feet tall by four feet wide yeah, something like that
0: yeah, it's like you're in a big sort of kiosk like a the 3d kiosk kind of thing, but it's it's big it's at least. 9 or 10 feet tall.
2: Yeah, it's huge. And when they talked about touring with this, my logistical brain went to immediately like, well, how do I travel with this? How, how does this get, you know, does this come in a road case? How do I plug it in? What, where, do, where does Mason, how do I get this to the audio to go to Jeff? How do I get the video to do what I want it to do? And there were more logistical pieces than answers than I had to the logistical pieces of how this one particular piece of, um, technology worked. So when they decided to tour with it, we were both like, oh gosh, like, you know, let's, let's figure out how to make this work. Cause it's going to be awesome. Um, you know, if we can figure out how to do it. Um, and then, you know, we take it on tour with us. We figure out how to, uh, use video playback properly, get the audio to Jeff, um, get it to transition on stage. Well, um, and when it's done in the room, it's amazing and the kids are, you know, like gasp every time that they see it because they think that it's so cool. Um, and that's all I'll say about that because I think, you know, you got to come to the show. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but that's, you know, just an example of how logistically it was one of those like, well, could, can we actually do this? And then when you see it in the room, you're like, whoa, you know, I'm really glad that we chose to pursue, you know, saying yes to this and figuring out how to make it work because um, it's a cool is it that.
0: the uh, is it the pepper Pepper's ghost idea? Is it? It's not quite. That uses basically a, an actual film that reflects yeah. and uses light to create a sort of three D type holographic thing, which has been around for a long time. This is more of a. It's a self contained box it. that doesn't doesn't have any of that. Gotcha reflectivity or mirrors and camera tricks. Because
3: the hard thing about holograms live is the angles of the audience, right? like you have to be at a certain angle so that to me has always been the biggest challenge because people have talked about you know let's do the queen tour with freddie mercury
0: but they can't figure out the angles and like how you would have to just weird yeah and the other thing about that the pepper's ghost thing is that you have to have so much distance between the downstage edge of that projection and where the perceived image is and so most of those things take up like 15 to 20 feet of stage space from front to back. And there's just not, it's just hard to accommodate yeah. that in a, in a practical way. Um, yeah. The other thing that's interesting to me about this particular tour, just cause I've never been around this kind of thing before, you know, it's so different than just mixing music and working with a band because of all the fabrication of the set pieces and, the orchestration of getting things on and off the stage quickly—it's like how. Oh, Rusty well, Anderson. What Rusty oh Anderson? God. Who I'm invited like, you? you? Been out here on tour,
2: <laughs> repping MXU stuff, and you guys are doing a podcast without me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we were out of uh, spare DPAs. so. Okay.
3: Yeah. Uh, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you be on hole thirty-four by now?
2: He's asking if you're on hole thirty-four by now.
1: How many, how many
3: rounds
0: have we played? I think four rounds. We played four rounds so far. That's awesome. Yeah, we're pretty excited. Uh, where were we? Uh, <laughs> thanks, Jay. So um, did Jay do that? Just the, he, he, he yeah. texted
1: me something. and said, "Why aren't you on this podcast right now?" I go, "What podcast?" I said, "Go, <laughs> go find Jeff."
0: Well, he's he's now on the MXU video podcast all the time, so he's got his own deal. That's true. Um, no idiots here. So what I, what I was saying was. Not being a music tour, it's interesting to me to see all the theatrical things that typically happen, like all the set pieces and the fabrications that need to be brought on and off stage and just the orchestration of stage hands. Because normally on a concert, we would have maybe, depending on the scale of the show, we would have like four to six sort of show hands for changeover and things. This show has a lot of local stagehands and our crew that has to pull off getting these huge sports-related set pieces on and off the stage every night. Yeah. So just the the ballet that that turns into has been fascinating to me. So where does that overlap into your role in terms of just – navigating communication to all those people because that's a big deal it's yeah. not just it's not just telling the guys on stage what's happening next and making sure they're on track right but you're managing a lot of people yeah. that are not on stage at all
2: yeah that's a that's a good question um my com headset is usually an, a very anxious place to be at times because <laughs> you've yeah. got uh you know all five dudes and stage managers and stage team and um, and a host, you know, that, that you have to wrangle. Um, yeah, just, so just
0: to know, clarify, how, how wait, many wait, people wait, wait. is that? Yeah. Totally per night? Yeah. How many people are you communicating with?
3: And you're, you're, the dudes have IFBs and you're talking to them during the show also?
2: Correct. Yeah. Well, they use their in ears basically as an IFB system. And then they, um, and then they, we have uh, Sojo as well. And they have one other person that travels yeah, with
0: them. Yeah. So too. Joseph Sojourner is our host who's kind of the, Yep. navigator for the night the five dudes and then one other kind of co-host on a couple of different bits so those seven are in her ear so she hears them and they hear her and then she's also got two-way communication with the whole stage production team and backstage yep got it so
2: i would say on a given night there's probably 25 people in my headset
0: probably 25 or 30 yeah
2: so it's a, you know, sometimes it's a chaotic place to be. Sometimes you just got to take a deep breath.
0: <laughs> and are, you,
3: are you using a like a readal panel to communicate, something like that? What do I have? It's I have clear, a clear calm. calm. It's clear calm, calm. Yeah. Right.
2: Well, mine's a base station instead of a, a belt pack. But I've got, so I've got a two way calm to the dudes. Um, and then it's just separate channels for everybody else, lighting, video, audio. And stage team.
3: So that's a lot to wrangle when to talk to them, when to talk to stage hands. You're moving this here. Okay. Here comes the video. Is audio ready. I mean, yeah, it's more than show calling to me. It's really like, I guess it is conducting, right? It's it's live. Like the dudes are the band essentially. And you're telling them what they're doing next, making them aware of any changes, anything that's going wrong. Right. And you're also controlling the crew.
0: Well, and the other thing that's interesting is, you know, you talked earlier about your role is to help satisfy their vision. Well, if something goes wrong during the show,
2: which happens,
0: then you're getting bombarded from them by, "Hey, what went wrong? What's happening? What are we going to do?" Yeah, and you're trying to communicate that same question to the crew and receive information from the crew and communicate it back to the dudes. And that that whole chaotic moment has got to be something to
2: juggle. Yeah. I mean, you know, luckily over the last, I mean, Jay can tell you, I'm, uh, I've, hopefully I've grown a lot over the last three years as a producer. And, you know, that used to really, uh, stress me out, especially if I didn't understand what it is that happened before, um, I had to go communicate that to a client or, you know, whoever's on stage or, you know, um, and I learned pretty quickly that in order for me to communicate effectively, not only to my client, but also to my team, I had to have an understanding of both worlds and be able to communicate that clearly. So if something goes wrong in production, I don't have to have the most in-depth knowledge of whatever that was, um, but I can tell the dude's a server failed. You know, what that sort of means in our technical world of I don't necessarily have to have the most accurate answer, um, but I have to have an answer. Um, you know, as it goes both ways, if it's a piece of, um, equipment or something technical that I have to communicate to the dudes, or if the dudes have a vision that I need to figure out how, how to translate that and make that a workable solution in the live environment. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of air traffic control and, um, actually really enjoy that part of my job. I really like being the translator. Um, I don't get it right all the time, but you know, it's, I think it, um, it's something that's desperately needed in these types of environments um, for both artists and and the tech, technical crew.
0: So what's an example of a time that you've had to make a call and it's like, here's what we're doing, and the show goes on, and then in a debrief or afterwards, the dudes or some other client would say, that was the wrong call.
2: Yeah. Like, how do
0: you own that? and still have confidence to do it again the next time yeah because that's a that's a touchy thing sometimes it's like you're some because sometimes you do have to say all right this is the final answer and here's how we're going to move forward right in the middle of that chaos and then there may not be pushback right away but at the end of the night after the show next day in a debrief they might say that was the wrong call
2: yeah sure um i mean it could be anything it could be you know I play a lot of our. We get transition videos, um, basically to move these massive set pieces on and off. So during one of our first segments of the show, we've got a big. Um, it's like a football. What do you call a quarterback challenge? Yeah. Type so they thing.
0: basically they have to throw a football from middle of the house into a moving net target on stage. Yep. And that that net is. What, fifteen feet tall and eight feet wide? I mean, it's and it's moving across the stage. And there's a soccer full-size soccer goal and a full an oversized basketball goal. And they're doing basically challenges into each of the three elements. So those massive set pieces take up all of the sixty sixty foot width of the stage. Right. And so after that moment, those pieces have to get off. So there's a video that plays that helps transition those pieces.
2: Right. And that's one of those elements where. You know, we get these transition videos that we work in tandem with them sort of on the content that they're able to create and film in-house. Um, and we make that workable and we build graphics into it and make it feel branded to the moment. Um, but a lot of times those transition videos end up being like, well, I need three minutes here to transition the stage. So I have to play this video because this video is, you know, three minutes long versus the minute and a half video that I have playing later on in the show. Um, you know, so there will be times where I'll play that video. And then and debrief later, it's like, well, Lauren, that video didn't feel right in that moment. And you're like, well, okay, well, you know, there's also a real logistical piece of having to move things on and off. We still um, need three minutes. We still need three minutes. So, and so it might be, you know, well, let's play the minute and a half video and then let's put a host segment there. So it's, it's kind of about what's the, the balance of being able to support their vision, um, but also make it, a realistic thing for the rest of our crew to do. Cause if I tell our crew they've got a minute and a half to move three massive set pieces um, you know, that's not,
0: they might work. have a stroke.
2: Right. And they might <laughs> all quit. <laughs> so, um, so it's that. And, um, and you know, sometimes things happen in, in the room. Like for example, we had a video that uh, didn't fire um, well last night. And um, well, when I say, didn't fire well it just didn't fire (laughs) (laughs) fire and so um and so I made a call in that moment um to uh, what I should have done was stopped it and put it in a different part of the show but I chose to roll the audio from that video um and like I said I don't do things perfectly all the time it made something I feel like it made it a bit awkward in the room um, Jeff's nodding his head. He doesn't want to say yes, but it did. Um,
0: it was awkward for everybody. It was
2: awkward for, for all parties involved. Um, but post show, you know, they said like, Lauren, we shouldn't have done that. You know, that didn't feel right. And I went, yep, you're right. It didn't feel right. Um, and we figured out a contingency plan for what happens the next time that happens, which is, you know, wait, don't roll the video and, um, figure out how to put it later on in the program. That probably sounds ambiguous the way that I'm talking about it, but
1: no, it makes ah. sense. No, no, it makes sense. sense, Lauren. You said something earlier um, <clears throat> about you've grown a lot through years, but all those voices in your head—obviously, probably when you take your calm off at the end of the night it's probably uh, equal satisfaction of a great show, and your heart's probably still racing. Um, you and I have talked about being anxious just in general in our lives previously. Yeah. Like, how do you? How do, and you've been in church environments, so this can apply to the road, but what's your advice to people that get anxious, like an air traffic controller, a conductor is managing 25 voices. You've got in a church yeah. environment, you could have a minister of music or a pastor that's just not easiest to deal with. How do you take that? How do you walk away? And what what do you encourage your crew to do to stay calm as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, we work in the live event space. Mistakes are going to happen. They're inevitable. Um, I think, you know, for me, it's easy to get freaked out on calm and, and, and make people feel more anxious. Um, but as the person who's anchoring the room, it's your job to keep a level head and it's your job to communicate clearly so people can feel like they can take the next step in the show. Um, so from an anxiety standpoint, I would just say, you know, take a deep breath. Nothing, nothing's the end of the world. Um, and everything's, you know, generally fixable. Mistakes are going to happen. Um, and slow down. You know, a- allow yourself to focus on the problem at hand and and move forward with a solution for that. Um, and then, you know, from a leadership standpoint, your crew, um, your crew is going to feed off of the energy that you give them. So when you respond in an anxious way, they're going to respond in an anxious way back. So How can I keep the train moving and make people feel like, you know, everything's okay, even if it doesn't feel okay in the moment, um, in order to give the show the best, um, you know, the best energy that it can, um, you know, but from an anxiety standpoint, it's a very real off headset. I would say it's, I very much have imposter syndrome, which I think probably a lot of people in this industry do of. I know the things, I know how to make the things happen, um, but there's still like, you know, feelings of inadequacy or feelings like I don't quite have this together, or, there's someone who could be doing this better or um, you know, things like that, but I think you have to focus on the um you're put here for a purpose. Um, you're put here for to lead your specific environment the best that you can. And as long as I'm showing up and giving as much to this as I can um, and doing the best that I can with what I have, that's all you can do at the end of the day.
0: So what do you do personally to turn it off? Because a lot of people who are in this space are excellent at what they do and they care about excellence. And so they they have a mindset. We all have a mindset of getting better. Yeah. Like we talk around MXU all the time about constantly getting better. That's why we started this thing in the first place. So it's easy sometimes to get in this mindset of sort of maximizer mode where it's like, okay, tomorrow night we're going to do this and it'll be better. Then we're going to do this and it'll be better. Then we're going to do this. And, you know, sometimes you just have to unplug and decompress and turn it off. So how do you personally do that?
2: Yeah, for me it's about having an outlet that isn't work, Um, especially in, you know, this setting. It's so easy to make this Mm -hmm. like – you and this becomes your identity how you thrive and how you function because we all love what we do what we do is amazing we have we do amazing things um you know as a group of individuals but um for me you got to have an outlet that's not this you know for you and rusty it's maybe golf maybe uh (laughs) for me it's the peloton i love the peloton um i haven't ridden it in a few weeks um but you know outs i it's having things outside of just this to be able to focus on. Um, And for me, turning off email for an hour a day for a long time was not a doable thing of like, I need to be available and plugged in all the time. And at the end of the day, that doesn't produce fruit. If you're not a healthy person, um, you know, individually, then you're not going to be a healthy person in your work environment.
3: That's good. Yeah, it's great. Lauren, this is maybe make you jealous. I check email once maybe two times a day
2: oh wow
3: i'm like (laughs) i'm like lauren (laughs) i can't do it on push i i turned push off a long time ago where you get the notification
2: yeah i don't
1: have my push but
3: but i just in the mornings i'll check it and send stuff and then maybe in the afternoons and just make people wait (laughs) just get into it because it drives me crazy i just refresh 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 all day and it's not even like oh i got an email i need to respond
0: i was going is there an email? Is there an email? Right. I'm like, th- right. It's just consuming. Mm, that little ding or swoosh or whatever the sound is is very addicting. You got to get that yeah. dopamine. But like hit, what? Yeah.
1: Banana Republic's having another sale. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Lauren, when you first turned your email off for an hour a day or didn't look at it, for mm-hmm. I know what I know the emotion I had and it wasn't good. But what was yours? Was it hard to do that?
2: Yeah, versus it's super hard because you're you're like I'm missing something. It yeah. created that's, more you know, anxiety
1: for me. I got more anxious, yeah. but I have to like push through.
2: Well, and I think what Lee just said is perfect. Of like, people can wait. Like,
1: <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: n- nothing is usually that urgent. And if it is, they're going to call me. You know. Um, so just understanding, and I think I used to get so anxious about being behind on things. Like, well, if I take an hour here, I'm going to be behind on it later. Um, but I actually feel like I'm more productive if I take an hour to do something that I want to do and I'm able to actually focus and, you know, give it the, the energy that it deserves.
1: Totally. You ride the Peloton um, for an hour? Well, no. You know, if I,
2: I mean, if it, it's if it's like overdue, maybe an hour. But
1: I'm looking at mine um, and my heart rate's up.
2: Yeah, yours is basically <laughs> a rack to dry your clothes on, it's, I think.
1: It literally, there's a shirt hanging on it right
2: now. <laughs> Are you in my house?
3: <laughs> you know they make road cases for Pelotons?
2: I really want one. I don't know how to make this happen, but I feel like...
1: Hey,
0: if anybody can fabricate something, you can You're, get it yeah, done. You yeah, like, I know people. Does Lauren,
1: uh, Lauren have a producer case or anything? But No, she just brings her Peloton. She's, <laughs> she's got a little pelican with a coffee maker and, and her Peloton, and she's fine.
3: Uh, well, the United guys have one in a road case. So ask Pippet and Webby where they got it.
2: Uh, all right. That's and they great. ride
3: it every day. A couple of them.
2: I love that. I did not.
1: <laughs> I won't be. Not-
3: I need a bigger seat. If they go put a bigger seat on that thing, I'll try it.
1: I have a squishy seat on mine. My-
3: <laughs> you need a carrier on squishy seat. I know. I need like five or six of those springs and it needs to be about the size of an airplane seat. <laughs>
1: you get you just get a piece of cardboard cut i I mean a piece of wood cut to just put on top of it yes
0: that's That's, fine that's great that's so funny well i'll say just from a personal standpoint um, my daughter stella was at the show last weekend and got to sit on calm and listen to lauren do what she does during the show uh, because she's fascinated by all aspects of production and so Lauren was gracious enough to let her kind of eavesdrop on the process of conducting. She might have learned some new words. Our, she probably <laughs> I, did. Might have. Yeah, <laughs> definitely did. But I will say, when we were on the way home Sunday night, I said, so how was that? She goes, that was awesome. Lauren is so good at what she does. And she now Stella is like, this is what I want to do. Aww. Like, she wants to be like you. So,
2: she's the um, coolest kid. I'm pretty sure Stella's going to take my job in about, you know, three years. So,
0: but all that's to say, you're really good at what you do. And anybody who works with you has that same feeling because of your demeanor and, you know, general lack of anxiety and blowing up and all that. Because it takes a certain kind of person to be able to effectively be on calm and to lead that because it's too easy to get barky and it's too easy to just sort of of yell at people we've all been in situations where that's happened and it does not go well
2: yeah so yeah, sure. just
0: to be able to navigate that really well you do a great job of it and we're thrilled that you were able to share some of your insight with us today uh it's been a great conversation so thanks so much for being yeah,
2: here yeah yeah thanks for having me
0: the best also her favorite movie
3: Step Brothers. <laughs> i don't think i've seen that movie are you we're, wa- oh, we're watching you it next it? week Or When are we together two weeks two weeks yeah Watch.
2: i'm pretty sure jay and i have full-on conversations that are only stepbrothers quotes
3: that's awesome well you guys have a great show in tampa
2: no thank you guys this is really cool
1: love you love you guys you guys have fun out there
0: thanks